turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And growing up, um, one of the, my memories of my mom is that she loved to sew. My mom's passed away, but she loved to sew. Uh, her sewing machine was probably her favorite possession here on this earth, her most used possession. And she loved to sew clothes for my sister and even myself sometimes. And I, I remember very vividly many times coming home from school. I, I, we lived in a kind of a neighborhood where you could walk home or I rode the bus, the city bus from middle school, junior high to there. And then I walked home. I remember walking home and I don't know what happened that day. I don't know what moms do when kids are gone. Maybe, maybe I don't want to know. But um, my mom, when, when I was gone those particular days, she had gone to the fabric store, uh, Beverly Fabrics, uh, most likely. And she had gone and she's gotten a pattern and some fabric. And it was all over the floor, the fabric, and all over the kitchen table. And she had, you know... But those of you who know this, the patterns are just this kind of tissue paper type thing. And you place it over the fabric, you pin it in there, and then she would cut out uh, the fabric. And I remember as a small child, you know, you ask all those dumb questions. Mom, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm making something. And you, the question goes, well, it doesn't look like you're making much. It just looks like a bunch of stuff. And what's this and what's that? And, and she would say, that's the pattern. That's the pattern. And as a kid goes, well, why do you need a pattern? You know, why don't you just make it? And she would say, you need a pattern because you want it to look right. Somebody's designed this and you need to follow the directions, if you will. And you need to make it and cut it in a special way so that it comes out right. This morning, uh, we're talking about models, models from the book of Philippians. And it's the same idea that we are uh, looking to something else to shape what goes on in our lives. So the decisions that we make, the, the values that we hold, the steps that we take, uh, it's, it's all about models. And Paul's going to give us some instruction about what to do as we regard our life now, our, our new life uh, that God has given us and granted us. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Philippians chapter 3. And I want to start in verse 17 and go through chapter 4, verse 1. God's word says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. God, we ask your blessing on your word. 
I thank you for each one here and the reason you brought them here today, Lord. I, I trust you in that and you're part of your plan. And may we all embrace that and understand that, God, you're doing something in us and in this church. God, help us to know our place in this church, that this is not just a place where we come and get, but that we look to encourage one another and fill our role. May we see ourselves as important, but not more important than anybody else. Uh, God, thank you for this time. Glorify yourself in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul says something that he had told in other places in different ways to other churches. But if you remember, Paul had made a couple of visits to Philippi. They knew him. They had heard the gospel of Jesus. They knew how to get saved. They came to know Christ because Paul had shared with them. That church was established, that group of people, however large they were. Let's, let's say there are 100, 200 people at this time. 300, I don't know how many. But as they gather around, they all knew who Paul was. He was the guy that came and shared the, the good news of Jesus Christ with them. How they could have new life. That they, how they could have their sins forgiven. I want to encourage you that uh, when you read the scripture, it's not about being good and for you to have a good life here and now. The, the, the main goal is that we would understand the good news of the gospel. And the, the first step and the most important step of the gospel is that you would have your sins forgiven and have new life in Christ. It's not about being good and like, it, you can't be good enough, even as Zach shared about the, the song that we uh, sang just now. It's not about being good. We can't be good enough. We can't be. And so uh, Paul came and shared a different message, the message that Jesus had paid it all that he had been the one that would stand in their place. And so this morning, uh, as we begin, just remember um, that as Paul shared a message, his message was that to them was that they needed Jesus, just as I would share with you this morning, that you need Jesus. And I know that because I need Jesus. <laughs> okay? Uh, we're all in that together. In our passage this morning, verse uh, 17... He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And we start with the healthy and important model. The healthy and important model. It's interesting to me, he says, brothers. And, and uh, sometimes I think this is funny because uh, um, in Southern California, in churches, uh, I grew up in Santa Barbara, uh, you you didn't say brother or sister in church. You didn't say, good morning, brother. If you were in the South, not Southern California, South, South California. If you were in the South, everyone would say brother or sister. You know, that, that, that's a way of greeting. Um, and uh, I think it's a good, you know, Santa Barbara, they say, hey, what's up, bro? You know, uh, but that's a little bit different. Anyways, uh, brother or sister, that, that idea, that distinction, and why, you know, many churches say that, uh, it's reflecting on this new relationship, this new relationship, even as I talk to the kids about bringing it into the household, bringing it into God's family. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. 
And, and the, the quick thing that when you read brother in the scripture uh, and you look around this church of people that you know know Christ and you look at them, it's meant to call us to say, they're not my brother. They're not my sister. I, I didn't grow up with them. They, we don't have the same mom and dad. We're not part of the same family. But Jesus made us part of the family. Whoa, that's different. That, 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 that's, you know, that, that's the adoption thing, right? That's that special relationship that, that I've been brought into a new family. Um, maybe, maybe some of you have been adopted or you've been in a family that's adopted someone or uh, you, you, you know that process. Um, you'd like to see, you, you would like to say, Oh, it's supernatural. Like, it, it, you know, we just came and we just all agreed and we just all knew. How, it's not the, that's not the way it is, isn't it? I've heard it over and over and over again. And the adopt, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. And as I look at this passage, I believe Paul's reminding them, hey, we're brothers now. You're in a new family. It's different. It's not the way you grew up. You think about that church at Philippi that they were doing, we don't know what they were doing, right? They were just out there unsaved, living a life of a person that's unsaved. Some of them were respected in the community. Some of them were low life. Some of them were uh, killing it financially and some of them were beggars, right? There There was all the gamut of them in that city. They were going about doing life But Jesus changed it all, and he's reminding them, hey, you're now part of the family. Your relationship to one another, brother and sister. Um, This, the book of Philippians is a book, one of the great themes is joy. But also uh, a similar and and another great theme is unity in the church. Unity in the church. And some of us view unity in the church is, um, I just don't talk to them. I just don't care about them. I mind my own business and they mind their own business. And we're not fighting, so we're unified. I want to encourage you, that's not the picture of the church. It's the sharing of life. It's, uh, that's what that is. It's, it, it's sharing of life in such a way, the brother-sister thing, right? Obviously, we can't all live together. We do have some acres down here that we could do some building and, you know, dorm room situations. Um, but uh, it's not l- physically living together, but it's the idea of being bound together in relationship because of Jesus, that we are family. And this idea of hurting with one another and praying for one another and correcting one another and encouraging and cheering on one another. Why? Because we're family. Um, You know about people who aren't family. They might be good friends for a time, but you let them go, right? You realize, yeah, your responsibility is right here. 
you think about that generation to generation, your, your parents have a responsibility to you and you have to your kids and then you have another responsibility back to your parents and your kids are hoping, you're hoping that your kids will one day do that for you. That's the family situation. You realize you are obligated and permanently connected with one another. And he says, brothers. He says, brothers. And so for them... Uh, they would go, oh yeah, brothers, we're brothers. How do I be a good brother? This is new, uncharted territory. It's as if I, I was out living on my own for many years and I got adopted into a family and I got to figure out, I need to figure out how to live as a brother in this family. I, I'm confused on what it looks like to live as a brother in this family. Um, and so there's a learning curve, a process to that. I, I want you to know that it's not all that natural, if you will, uh, to be brother and sister. It, we need to work at that. We need to uh, spend time thinking about that. And as he says this, listen, he looked down at verse 17. Brothers, he's going to give them how to get there how to understand my role how to fit in in the family he says this join in imitating me imitating me i maybe that sounds arrogant on on paul's part but but i want to tell you this is how this works those who have gone before you in the same way become the models as Paul would have shared the gospel with them, uh, undoubtedly they would have looked to him and they say, hey, we've accepted Christ. Uh, the only other person we know that has accepted Christ is you. And so you've got to show us the way. You've got to show us the way. And Paul says, yeah, imitate me. Imitate me. I always think this is fascinating uh, for uh, children with their parents or children with uh, uh, sports. I remember very vividly uh, youngest son uh, being at the ball field during his brother's game. His brother's game and his face pressed up against the, the chain link fence and he's watching the big kids and he, he's, he's remembering their names and he's talking about them like they were professional baseball players, right? And he comes home and he starts to act like them and, and he's learning the game by watching by watching. And Paul says, this is the way you are to learn. Follow me. Imitate me. As Paul does that, I want to do a quick review of the book of Philippians because we learn a ton about Paul just through the book of Philippians. Um, as you think about this, as they would have been called to um, remember Paul and to imitate him, they would remember that he was joyful in sacrificial service of Jesus. Who was Paul? You know, as they, as they think about Paul, what did he do? He went from town to town to town uh, in crazy ways. In crazy ways. They remember Paul getting arrested in their town, beaten, thrown up, and sharing Christ in the jail. They, they, they go, that's Paul. To see Paul that he joyfully served, even at cost. To imitate Paul was to be like that, to be joyful, sacrificial service. 
that he was crazy about Jesus, that he was willing to go to jail, willing to be beaten for the name of Christ. You look at Paul's life and you just say, man, that guy loved the local church. And when I say he loved the local church, he loved the local churches. It was a burden to him. As he thought through his travels and as he sat alone at times, he, he reflected and it says that he makes mention of these people in his prayers and the burden of the churches is always on his heart and he's going through them over and over again. It was the thing that he loved. And to imitate Paul was to love local churches. And for us, lo- love this church. Uh, not because we're in it, but because it's Christ's church. You think of humble service in, in chapter 2, and, and, and Paul is, you know, he's, he's exhorting them and saying, you know, you, this is not about you. If Christ has done anything in you, it is not about your pride and your selfish ambition, but it's you thinking better of others. And as he uses examples of different people, Christ he also says, yeah, you saw it in us. You saw it in me. And this idea that we would, as we imitate, and they imitate, as they were called to imitate, that they would see themselves as humble servants. Humble servants. Um, when you serve, when you do something, do you want recognition for it? Are you making sure everybody knows how great you were, how much you gave, how sacrificial you were? Paul was just continuing to serve over and over again, keep moving and not worrying about accolades. He was a humble servant. As we look at, uh, in chapter 3 earlier in this passage, we realize that uh, Paul had that list of things that he was willing to lose. He was willing to give up things. To follow after Christ. He was willing to throw them aside because they got in the way. He goes on, he uses the phrase to, to put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in what I can do. That he didn't want what he could do. He traded that in for what Christ could do. No confidence in the flesh. And what he grabbed a hold of and was clinging to was a righteousness that was not his own. That he, he loved to cling to, he loved to talk about this idea that he was right with God, not because of what he had done. He, he clung to the righteousness that he received. How? Through Jesus. Jesus has done on his behalf. This is what Paul was about. And just... Prior to this, I love how he says uh, this in in chapter 3. He really shares, he says, not that I have gotten there yet, not that I'm complete. He humbly knew that he hadn't arrived. If we're to follow after Paul as he follows after Christ, we would remind ourselves and others over and over again, there's more, there's more. I'm not done yet, you know. I'm a half-baked loaf of bread, right? Uh, You know, there's more to do. There's more time. There's more to learn. There's more to grow in. He humbly knew that he wasn't done yet. There's more that can be said of Paul as he 
spoke in other, even in Philippians, but also in the other books that he wrote. And, and Paul says, imitate me, imitate me, imitate me. I'm a, I'm a few steps further down the road. Um, it's interesting, he, he even, as he says, imitate me, he says, not just that, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, right? He says, imitate me, but also imitate others like me in your midst. Uh, follow after them. Now, um, I know that most of us hate that, hate that. We hate the idea of imitation. We like to think that we're our own person and we don't need to follow anybody. I, I got a better idea than everybody else. I've got a different style. I, I'm kind of a self-made man. I'm a maverick. I, I don't go out and follow any, anybody's footsteps. I do my own thing. We're not like any other family. We're, we, we've got our own ideas about everything. Paul says that's dangerous. Because you've been adopted into a new family. There's a new way of living that you don't understand. And and the best way for you to understand and understand it as quickly as possible is for you to look at Paul and look at others like Paul and follow after them. To look and say, how how do I fit in here? How do I fit in here? You know, um, for kids, uh, as parents, we always teach them, you know, you don't want to fit in. And I want to say, yeah, that's right. You don't want to fit in in bad crowds. But when you find godly people, you want to fit in. You want to be like them. You want to, you, you want to copy them in ways. You want to look and say, how did you do that? You want to ask questions. Why did you do that right there? Um, there's a healthy and important model. Um, this passage is interesting to me because I, I think that um, when I think of models and like people to look up to, most of us kind of get casual in our own hearts and say, the building isn't burning down. You just need to find some better models. And yet I, as I look at this passage, there's a sense of danger and urgency to it that I want us to get this morning. That That if we're not following after godly models, if we're not following after Christ-centered, like Paul-type models, we're in a dangerous place, ready to make dangerous decisions. And so Paul said, he says, uh, healthy, they're healthy and important models. I'm one of them, and there are others that you should follow as well. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. I'd encourage you right now to even think, who are your models? Who are the people? And uh, it's, it's doubly important uh, for you if you, di- if you don't feel like you grew up with good models. It's doubly important. If you feel like you're in a situation, maybe you didn't go to church or you were in a lame church or you were in a situation where your parents didn't walk with the Lord. Uh, it's not about judging them and uh, bemoaning all that, but, but, but it's for you to say, I'm doubly, uh, it's more important for me than some other people. I would even say it the, this way. I, I told a young man this, this last week, 
I said, you're at risk. You're at risk. Kind of shocked. And he says, you know, you're at risk. And so for you, when you know you're at risk, man, you got to pay attention. You, you got to be careful about the way you live. Why? Because if you don't have a model that's stuck in your mind that you grew up with, then there's a tendency to go to those other models that you'd seen in your life, and they're wrong ones. I want to tell you it's important for us to know ourselves in ways that we need healthy and important models. Which brings us to verse 18. Verse 18, uh, where there are bad models dangerous models and i've taught this passage before and the thing that stood out to me about this is is sometimes um there's different perspectives right you look at the scripture and, and what are they talking about what are these dangerous models where are these dangerous models um i i want to like you know Dangerous models. There's some ungodly people at your work, chances are, that are ungodly before you. Those could be those dangerous models. And immediately my mind goes there. Uh, Kids going to school, the college scene, uh, your peers in your neighborhood, the people on your your sports teams. Like I, I want immediately to say those are dangerous models for you. But as I look at this passage, I'm not sure that's even the primary application of this. I think, you know, as I look at this passage, I think that those dangerous models that he was alerting them to were within the church. Were people who are one of two things. They're either not saved, they don't have their sins forgiven, they're not believers, they don't have new life, and they're in the midst of the church. Or they're people that are saved, they they have their sins forgiven, but they're still stuck in the old pattern of living uh, a sinful life. And I want to tell you, if it's sometimes more dangerous, the, mo- the bad model inside the church than outside the church, right? Outside the church, you just go, of course. They don't know Jesus, you know, so, so there it is. But when someone says, I, I do have a relationship with God, I, I, I do love him and care for him, and they're still a bad model, that's a dangerous one. Because it's confusing, especially the older the person is. Because we go, oh, they've, they've been in the church for a long time. This is the way they would do it. Anyways, let, let's look at the passage. I've talked to you long about my own ideas. Um, verse 18. For many whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears. Those tears are what makes this a big deal for me. Paul is not saying... Yeah, there's some problems in the church. It's kind of bad. You guys should sort of figure that out. He's burdened by it. He weeps over it. He, he weeps for them and most likely what it does to the church. And this idea that, it, that it, he says it over and over. He says, I've often told you. I've often told you. And um, that for parents and grandparents is a license right there, right? to repeat yourself over and over again. If it's the truth, if it's the truth and it's important, um, say it again and again and again. And my, one of my favorite things to tell my kids uh, is tell them something again. And they look at me annoyed and say, you already told me that. Oh, I didn't know that because I watched what you were doing. I thought maybe you forgot. 
I didn't forget. <laughs> I, I'll tell you again. I, I, it's no problem for me to tell you again. Paul said that too. It's no problem for me to repeat myself. I can say these words over and over again until I lose my mind. <laughs> no problem. Uh, some of you kids are in here right now and you're going, is that what they do in big church? Pastor Kevin talks bad about us. Um, for, many, uh, uh, for many of whom I often told you, now I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They walk. And that word walk, that's the course of life. That's what they do. That's who they are. The course of their life is what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. As we read that, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you like that should go, no, no one should be an enemy of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ, what, what is the cross of Christ? It's the, it, it, the cross is the symbol of where Christ went to the cross to pay for sins. And it's the symbol of that day, that event, where Jesus took on the penalty for sinners like you and me. And so as we look at that, what should we be? We should be one who loves the cross of Christ. Who, who loves the idea of Christmas. Why? Because Jesus is coming and he's going to the cross. Who celebrate Good Friday and the Resurrection Sunday. Why? Because that's when he went to the cross. He went to the cross that I might live and I might celebrate the resurrection. The, the idea that he conquered sin and death. I should be excited about that. That should be my thing. Not to be an enemy. And he said, there are some, whom I've often told you, that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and as we think about that, we go, well, I want to know who the enemies are. I want to know who they are. I want, I want to be able to identify them. He's going to describe them really by four things or three in a, a summary point. He's going to tell us three things about them. And uh, this is how it goes. Uh, the first thing he says about them is the end, their, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. That doesn't really tell us how to identify them, but it tells us the severity of this problem. If you don't follow after the cross of Christ, the gospel that comes from there, your end is destruction. Doesn't matter how moral you've been. Doesn't matter what charity you've given to. It doesn't matter, uh, uh, you know, how sweet and kind you've been, uh, this and that. The, Jesus says, he, well, he came that for a specific purpose, to die for sinners, of which all of us are. And, and so, as we look at this, we realize that uh, the end of being an enemy of the cross of Christ is their destruction, eternal destruction. This makes uh, the, this issue so dangerous, right? You don't want to follow someone on their way to destruction. Think about that. They're on the wrong road. That's what he's saying. They're on the wrong road. And to model after someone who's on the wrong road leads you to the same place. And it, this, the place is destruction. It's the, the idea of all the punishments of your sin brought about by a holy God um, ends in destruction. 
The second thing he tells us about these that are enemies of the cross of Christ. You look down in verse 18. He says, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That sounds so funny to me, right? The idea of their God is their belly. And you, you picture this, this person, uh, you know, thinking of their stomach and you're going, you know, God. But, and, and quickly, I think some of us would go, like, obviously it would go to the idea of gluttony, of, of eating too much. But as you, you think through, uh, this, really the, this book doesn't talk really anything about gluttony. But it but it does talk, and as you expand out Paul's writings, you realize one of his biggest uh, things that he shares and teaches about is this idea of the flesh, of what we cry out for and what we can accomplish apart from a relationship with God. Our flesh, in weakness, cries out for certain things, is not able to make it. And so it says, I will grab, I will, I will go after our fleshly appetites. I can't help myself. Now I want to uh, put this in terms, maybe, maybe right now you, you say, well, flesh, that's, I don't really talk about in terms like that and the idea of your God is your belly. Let me say it this way, and it's not um, probably, it, it'll be helpful for you to understand this so we can really talk about this. Their God is their feelings. Their God is their feelings. Um, most of the time in our culture today, and really as part of who we are, we do see our feelings as God. Uh, hey, you need to go do this. I don't feel like it right now. I'm just not feeling it. You know, I, I feel like doing this. I know it's wrong, but I, I feel like doing it. And it, if I feel like doing it, it can't be wrong. It's this thing inside of me that should be obeyed. I want to tell you, um, you need to be super careful about your feelings. And you need to question your feelings. You need to question them. You need to have a conversation with yourself about yourself, about your feelings. It's probably too many people in that room right there. But um, you need to ask the question, are these feelings true? Are these feelings honoring to God? Should I do these things or are they dishonoring to God? Are they disobedient to God? Do they disagree with what God has called me to do in the Bible? Will the implications of this honor God or will it hurt somebody? Is this some selfishness that I'm living out that I feel like I have to have? I want to tell you, uh, your stomach... Your fleshly appetites, your feelings should not be your God. They should not be your God. It's a terrible place. And I, but, but I want to tell you that enemies of the cross of Christ, how do they make decisions? Their appetites, right? I just want it. I just got to have it. I got to have it. I can't live without it. I can't stop myself. I want to tell you that is a distinct characteristic of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me take a step back before we go further. Um, what happens? What happens when you follow people that are enemies of the cross of Christ? You follow them. 
and they're following their feelings, what do you do? You follow your feelings as well. Well, they did it. They did it. They do this all the time. They told me, you know, it's okay to do. They they maybe didn't tell me it's okay to do, but I've seen them do it. So I'm going to follow them. They said they're following after God. They go to my church. I want to tell you that's a dangerous model to follow. Those who follow uh, this idea that uh, their God is their belly, their, their fleshly appetites, their feelings. Second thing, or third thing that on this list of description of the enemies of the cross of Christ is glorying in their shame. And, and there's this interesting thing. As they sin, as they do things opposed to what God wants them to, what do they do? Are they embarrassed by it? No. Put it on Facebook. They make a banner. They make a club about it, right? They go on TV and they talk about it. It's not the idea of hiding sin and being embarrassed and ashamed and desiring God to do a work that it would remove it. Enemies of the cross of Christ, they, they parade it. They, they put banners up. They talk about it with their friends openly over and over again. You think about this. Uh, I want to I want to tell you that um, the last thing is is this umbrella that I, I see goes over the whole passage or the whole idea of the enemies of the cross of Christ. It says their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. That is their focus. That is their 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 place. They're staring all the time. That's what their mind is fixated upon. Earthly things. What's the problem with that? Earthly things don't last, right? If it's a meal, it's only a meal. It's gone. If it's the weather, it's changing tomorrow, right? If it's, if it's a possession, it'll wear out. If it's even their own health, it won't last forever. And so the idea of being fixated and stuck and this being our, our mindset on earthly things, the reason that's so bad is that it doesn't bring eternal life. It, it doesn't shoot past that. Um, I, w- I want to talk to you about two groups here. Uh, and we talked about this two, three weeks ago, the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were people that had acknowledged that they wanted to be a part of the church but they also wanted everyone to continue to do uh, Jewish laws, circumcision, and the feasts. And, and the idea of keeping all those laws and doing all those things, then you'd be right with God. Then you'd be right with God. And, and Jesus too. And Jesus too. Let's take it all. Judaizers. Keeping the law, keeping the law, but kind of trusting in Christ too. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. There's another group, uh, we've termed them antinomianism. The antinomianists, you know, can't spell it very well. There's too many vowels. Um, the idea of that group is anti-law, anti-law. Forget it all. We don't need any of it. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, Luther, as he talked about the, these two separate things, he talked about them 
uh, it's kind of like the drunken peasant trying to get on the horse and sliding off one side and then sliding off the other and then sliding off one side and sliding off the other. That's the picture. Neither one of them are on the horse. The, the picture here is the gospel is not who cares what you do. You can just continue in your sin and that's, it doesn't matter to Jesus. And the other side saying, oh no, oh no, you got to be good and you got to get all your P's and Q's together and it's not enough to believe in Jesus. It's not enough. I want to tell you probably both of those groups are in view in this passage. And both of those groups are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies. If you, if you find somebody who's a legalist and they think they're better than everybody else and they got a bunch of laws that they're going and they're trying to make you participate in their law following, I want to tell you that's a dangerous model for you. It's a dangerous model. There's another group that say, hey, we're, we're followers of Christ, but we don't, really, we don't really believe in that idea of like caring about people, of profanity, of drunkenness, of immorality we don't really care about that stuff because jesus paid it all i want to tell you that's a dangerous model for you it's dangerous it's not the gospel and this picture here of this of these two groups both dangerous dangerous for us to follow after well just a few things as we uh, conclude for you to remember for me to remember the first thing is this we all need models we all need models if you don't feel like you have a model here today, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the people in your life. Let's talk about, if you don't think you need a model, we've got more to talk about, right? Uh, you need models in your life, and you need to put together that team in your mind, that picture of where God wants you to go, because you need a physical reminder of what He wants you to be. Secondly, not every model should be a model, Right? Not every model should be a model. Uh, this idea that someone says, I want to disciple you. Take a step back and say, do I really want to go where they go? Do I want to really end up and be like they're being here? Uh, or maybe someone says, hey, I'm a believer. And you say, well, they said they were a believer and I, you know, I just need to follow them. They're older than me. If they say they're a believer, be careful. Not every model should be a model. Um, as you look at that, realize uh, that there are quite a few people um, that are joyless rule followers lost in their pride. And also there are others that are grace trampling sinners that you shouldn't model your life after. And lastly, just remember that one's life shows whether they're to be a model for you. To consider their life. To consider what their life is all about. Are they lost in earthly things? Or are they running life on their feelings? Are they glorying in their shame? If they are, that, that, that shows them to be someone that you should model after. Next week, we're going to continue uh, in the same passage and look at being citizens of heaven. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for our time together, uh, your word and the clarity of it. God, I do ask that you would encourage us with the models that are following after you. May, may there be more in our midst. Uh, may we take it more seriously. May we thirst after it.
May we uh, reject models that shouldn't be models. God, do your work in us, we pray. God, thank you for this time before your word. In Jesus' name, amen.